This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Hey, how you doing? Great to join you for another episode of LifeWords Q&A. David Ray's here to answer your questions. And uh, today, tackling three very interesting questions. David, thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Really enjoying your LifeWords daily devotionals, and I know a lot of uh, Hope uh, listeners uh, are loving it. Um, how long have you been writing daily devotionals for? Uh, beyond memory, I, 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 th- I think it's probably at least 10 years more than that. Okay, great. Well, may it continue. Okay, David, first question for today, and uh, I've, uh, this listener says, I've heard that there are examples in the Bible of people lying, and God doesn't seem to be worried about it. How is this so? Well, you're right. There are biblical examples of lies, uh, which not only God doesn't seem to bother about, but seems to almost like command. Um, there's examples, I can't go into all the details, but Elisha, Samuel, Rahab, amongst others, all told lies, not only without criticism, but sometimes they told lies more or less commanded to um, to lie. Um, Again, everything depends on definitions here of of what a lie is. You see, sometimes in extreme circumstances, a lie may be okay. Um, There are many examples of a person who might be harbouring Jews in Nazi Germany during the war, and if someone comes to the door, the Gestapo comes to the door and says, are you harbouring Jews? The person says, no, I'm not. Um, Are they lying? Well, yes, but they're doing so in order to protect someone. Um, a sporting team coach may lie about the composition of a team. Um, uh, they may deceive in order to gain a competitive advantage. You see, there are times when, when you know, like that sporting team uh, example, it's fairly trivial. Uh, other times uh, when lies are told in order to honour a higher command of love. Um The thing we wrestle with here is that ethics are not always black and white. We can be told, oh, look, uh, you shouldn't lie. That's true. That's that's, that's there in the Bible. You shouldn't bear false witness. Paul says you've got to tell the truth to one another because truth is the basis of community. But um, there are sometimes the hard exceptions. You see, the general idea is truth-telling. You see, just because there are a few examples in in the Bible of people lying... Uh, doesn't mean to say, and, and in, in our particular society, there may be extreme cases where you might have to lie. Um, uh, the general uh, example or the general principle is uh, that you should tell the truth because, you see, if you can't rely on other people's words, then society crumbles. That's why Paul says what he says in Ephesians 4, that if you... You, you tell the truth because we belong to one another, he says. Uh, and if I can't believe someone... If someone is constantly untrustworthy, then I can't have a relationship with someone. Now, the existence of exceptions is not meant to undermine the general principle. See, we can go to two extremes. We can say in regard to truth-telling or any other ethics, uh, it's all black and white, it's always wrong to lie, and that's it. But we do run against problems here with the Bible. Um, but then again, go to the other extreme and say, well, look, it all depends on the situation. Uh, uh, you can lie if you like or not lie if you, if you like. Um, no, I, th- I think we have to have a general rule here, a core rule, truth-telling. Um, but... There can be those weird and wacky situations, those situations on the margins uh, where you may have to actually um, tell a lie in order to 
serve a greater good. Um, telling a lie in the Bible is condemned because you are deceiving someone and they are not able to trust you. But in certain situations, like in a sporting contest or in times of war, um, um, you may have to lie. Um, I think it was Winston Churchill, or one, one person said that uh, the, the whole... Um, before D-Day in the World War Two, um, the, the Allies put out a massive, massive misinformation campaign to mislead the Germans as to where the invasion of Europe was going to take place. It was going to take place in Normandy, but they were telling the Germans it was going to take place near Calais. And uh, Churchill called it, I think it was Churchill, said it was a bodyguard of lies. Um, it, they, they lied. They actually lied to people. They yep. lied to the Germans. But we would all say, oh, but yes, of course they lied because we're in a, a state of battle. And, of course, that was the only way to win the battle and win the war and preserve life and so on and so on. So there are exceptions. And j- j- just, uh, but, but the general rule in general society is we tell the truth. Just on a related point, though, Andrew, that, that um, this person has said that God doesn't seem to be too worried about it. Remember, God doesn't seem to be too worried about a lot of things in the Bible. Uh, polygamy, uh, sometimes drunkenness. Um, God doesn't seem to always condemn it. Um, the very fact that God doesn't condemn something in the Bible doesn't mean to say he approves of it, because the Bible is not actually recording every single thing that God thinks or says or does. Yep. Life words Q and A is what you're listening to. Andrew Morris, David Ray. Uh, you can uh, listen to David Ray's uh, other Life Words Q and A podcasts at hope1032.com.au. You can subscribe to his daily email, which comes out Monday to Friday. It's a great way to start your morning, just to reflect on uh, a passage, and then David's uh, extends that that passage in a reflection. Well worth checking out. You can find that at the Hope website. David, our second question is. And it's a heavy one. I feel that my pastor may be at risk of entering into an inappropriate relationship with a female church member. What should I do? Yeah, it is a pretty heavy one. Um, believe it or not, I'm actually uh, uh, one of the my ministries I have is to uh, be part of teams which go into churches where, sadly, those sorts of things have happened and inappropriate relationships have happened and we have to come in and say, as it were, somewhere other help the church to recover from it. So, yes, I'm, I'm well aware of the situation. Um, and what we find in this, to answer the listener's question, is the, the, the common regret that we find amongst people in such churches is that people saw the signs but remained silent. Uh, this is almost universal. People will say to us, we sense something was wrong. I wish we had done something about it. So if you feel you have the right... Um, speak to the pastor because the Bible says that if you see someone going astray, you've got to try and bring them back. You can't just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, that's their, their lookout. I'm not going to interfere. Um, but, Jim, you may feel that, look, I don't have the right. I've got a bit of a problem um, with approaching the pastor personally. But talk it over with a nice, trusted, discreet person, preferably someone with a bit of authority in the church. Not only with a relationship, but there might be an improper relationship or the risk of one, but if he reacts aggressively or defensively to your approach, there's a problem with his idea of leadership too because that's a problem, um, a big problem because any responsible leader of a church, if, if responsible people come and 
sensitively and graciously warn him of or, or, or raise issues, I think he's got to be able to accept that. Um, but then again, he may respond respectfully, <coughs> excuse me, and assure you that all is well. Um, is there something that you would take to say an eldership or, or deacon team? Yes, you, you could. Depends on your leadership structure of the church. If if you you yourself are a leader or a deacon or whatever, uh, you could approach the pastor personally. But it might be best to you can do it together. Jesus actually talks about that in another context where he says, you know, if if you see a problem, go individually, then with two or three others, and then yep. you sort of. Um, es- escalates. Um, see, the pastor, if the pastor says, no, 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 everything's all right, well, sadly, it might not be all right, but you can't, you can't do anything about it. But then again, he may, he may be picked up by you. He may realize he's in danger. He might say, well, yes, sorry, I, I, yes, I have been spending too much time there. I, I, I will actually pull back there and to be thankful for your warning. And in that case, wow. Every, everyone wins. It's wonderful. Um, so I guess my short answer is 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 you 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 need to do something, um, whether it's just yourself or whether to invite some other trusted, discreet leadership people involved. You need to do something because the worst that can happen is the pastor can say, "What a load of rubbish! Go away." Well, that's sad. But the best case scenario could be you you could be saving him from shipwreck. Um, so 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 you can act. From your observation, because you did mention that this is an area that you do work in within your denomination, is is um, <clears throat> I guess inappropriate relationships with um, with the the opposite sex a common the most common way f- or the, the most common downfall for pastors? Well, it, it's the one that we see a bit. I'll bind you. There's other there's other um, areas of downfall which we may not be personally involved with, but uh, look. It's one of those interesting things that we are now, when I graduated from college, we hardly had any teaching about this at all. Now they've got a lot of teaching about it, boundaries and professionalism and codes of conduct and all this sort of thing, but sadly it can still happen. Now, it does happen too often for our liking, but even so, it's, it's good grief, it's not... It's not widespread. You couldn't. Yeah. You couldn't say that. The the warning I want to make to this person, though, having said, I think you've got to do something. Please don't become unduly suspicious of the pastor, submitting him to investigation and spying. <laughs> don't be a snoop. Um, uh, you know that 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 you can you can go to the extreme of just sort of saying, "Oh, nothing to do with me. I'm not going to get involved." Or you can go to the other extreme and say, oh, "I'm going to." Keep an eye on this person. Uh, careful about that. And there's also another warning. Don't blab it around. If you've got these views, confine your views to just one or two trusted others. Um, it is vital to intervene to save the pastor from shipwreck. But 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 don't don't take the easy way out by just sort of gossiping about it to absolutely everyone except for the person who really does need to hear it see even if you're mistaken as i said before a loving and wise pastor will appreciate your concern um many of us not about situations necessarily with female church members but many of us have been confronted by people in our church who care for us and love us and said look we're concerned about what's happening in your life or how you're going or how you're speaking or whatever, how you're treating your kids or your wife or something. And I think we generally appreciate that, to say, well, thank you for your love and concern. Uh, I'll need to watch that. But if we, if, if the pastor reacts badly, then that, that, that's, that's a danger sign. It may, be, it may be time for you to think, well, is he the right pastor for me? Um, because, uh, But again, I stress that we find it 
so common that people have seen warning signs but have not acted on them. And I would say act on it, not in gossiping terms, not in snooping investigation and spying terms, but just as a loving person who cares for that person and who wants to be assured that all is well. Because, you see, if you do approach that person privately, uh, he may have a perfectly innocent explanation of what you think is not innocent, and that's fine. Uh, but if you just don't do anything about it, it may be that in months or years' time, you might think, if only I had a fact. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A, Andrew Morris, David Ray. Now, David, we've got our final question for today's episode. Does the fact that Jesus only chose male disciples mean that men rather than women should take on church leadership roles? Well, no, no, not really. You see, Jesus was a... It might seem strange to say this. Jesus was a creature of his um, context, his society. Um, he fitted into a particular um, phase of society then. He chose males because in that society, males were the only ones legally able to bear witness to anything. And so it was perfectly proper that uh, since females were marginalised in his day, that he'd say, well, um, my disciples are going to be necessary to witness to the power structures of the day and they're going to be necessary to be witnesses to my resurrection and so on. So so therefore, um, I should choose males. They, they, I think I'd say is that they did have a privileged position in society and Jesus went along with it. Um, you know, that happens in the Bible a bit. The New Testament seems to go along with slavery. Um, not that it necessarily agrees with it, but it says, well, no, we just accept the status quo as it is uh, for the moment. Now, that might seem to make him very conformist, and how dare he just conform to his culture. But, in fact, when you look at Jesus' ministry, his associations with many women make him very radical. See, we just think, some people will say, oh, we only chose males as his disciples, therefore he's a bit of a wimp and he's just a creature of his society. But hang on, look, look at how he related to women. And that was very radical, very, very different. Now, um, Rob Bell is a, a well-known author and church or, uh, leader who wrote a book called Love's, Love Wins yes. a few years ago, and then the church sort of dropped him because he brought up issues of um, hmm. that question central tenets of the Christian faith. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's a shame to dismiss someone because of certain beliefs, because I think there's wisdom that he has and uh, Bible knowledge and a love of God that you can't deny. Uh, so, David, in one of his latest books, What the Bible Says, he talks about this very issue about uh, the women in Jesus' li uh, life uh, and that he was very close and had a lot to do with women in his ministry. And he, I think Rob Bell mentions that in his study of scripture, that uh, there was an example of possibly one of the uh, one of the ladies um, was the wife of um, Herod's the, mm. the the main housekeeper for yes. Herod's palace mm. was uh, she was a follower of Jesus and yes. may have paid some of the bills for Jesus. But yes. so I guess um, not wanting to get bogged down in in he said she said kind of stuff, but. Your point that women were involved in his ministry, I guess that's been... Oh, look, it, it's, it's often overlooked um, that we tend to think, well, of course women were involved in his ministry. But, hey, in his day, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have got that. You would, that. That was not the norm. And while I mentioned before that men were witnesses to his resurrection, well, of course, we reckon the first witness to his resurrection was actually a woman. Mm. Jesus was very happy to have them in his entourage, and he related with them as equals with men, with dignity and respect. He didn't treat them as sort of second-class citizens, or oh, the little the little women there, you just go off and 
cook the meals while we men sort of do all the heavy work. He dialogued with these women. He, he treated them as equals. And so on the one hand, choosing male disciples seems very conformist to his culture. But on the other hand, um, choosing women to be part of his followers and relating to him the way he did was um, very radical. Now, of course, there's much debate in churches, which you can't go into in detail now, about how all that applies to contemporary church leadership. Um, some people... It's not a not a widespread argument, but some people do still say, well, Jesus chose male disciples, therefore leadership in the church should be male. I don't know how that follows, to be honest, uh, because um, um, the early church had amongst its members um, female uh, leaders. And as I say, I think Jesus chose male disciples because it was culturally appropriate for him to do so. It doesn't mean that um, in different cultures we uh, have to have the same limitations. Personally, I, I'd put no limitations on women leading or preaching, uh, others do place limits, but um, uh, I certainly don't think the fact that Jesus chose male disciples um, relates at all to women playing a role in the church, uh, because I think we've got to look at Jesus' own culture and why he chose male disciples, and then also to look at the fact he put such a high value on women, and the early church put a high value on women's ministry, that I think that can safely carry over to our contemporary church. David, thanks for hanging out with us over the last 15. Thank you. You can catch up with David next time on LifeWords Q&A. If you'd like to uh, get his daily wisdom and reflections, you can subscribe to the daily uh, email called LifeWords Daily Devotional, and you can sign up for it at hope1032.com.au. Thanks for listening. Start your day with LifeWords. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.